This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 17. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Today, we have arguably the number one expert in Canada when it comes to personal finance for students, whether it's about saving money as a student, stretching what you do have as a student, and setting yourself up for success with your post-secondary education. Now, my guest, Kyle Prevo, is not only a teacher, but has also been featured in the Financial Post, the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, Money Sense Magazine, and many, many more. He's also the co-author of the book, More Money for Beer and Textbooks, where he teaches students about to enter post-secondary education and those already there, how to make the right decisions so that you can have a successful career after graduating, as well as how to make your dollar stretch further while you're in school and how you can set yourself up for financial success. And you can actually win a copy of Kyle's book by going to the show notes over at buildwealthcanada.com dot ca slash 17 so go there right now to enter the giveaway it's totally free and that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash 17 one final thing worth mentioning is that in the interview kyle and i talk about entrepreneurship and how that can be a great option while you are in high school or post-secondary education as it can really set you apart from your peers when you're applying for co-op jobs and when you're applying for jobs after graduation Not to mention it'll earn you extra money on the side and give you the type of experience where someone competing with you for a future job down the road doesn't even really stand a chance. Now, to help you with this, I'm giving you access to my totally free step-by-step video guide on how you can start your own business on the side here in Canada, which is actually really easy, by the way. And the guide also shows you how to build your very first website so that your business can be up and running in no time. Like I said, it's totally free and you can check out the full video guide over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash business. And now let's get into the interview. All right. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cornell. So what I thought we could do is maybe start by addressing some questions for someone that is maybe graduating high school or is already in university or college. And then I thought we could take it over and and move to some questions for those listeners who have already graduated. And then we can cover some subjects like how to deal with student debt and things of that nature. Uh, Does that sound good? All right, let's tackle the whole gamut today. (laughs) Awesome. All right, so to start us off, is post-secondary education even worth it, especially when you consider how much it's been increasing year over year? Okay, and the answer is sometimes for some people. And I know that's a total cop-out answer. Uh, if you want the detailed answer with all the good numbers and stats and and uh, backup, just Google my name in the National Post, uh, and you'll see I wrote an article about a month ago um, talking about this very thing, looking at the return on investment uh, of a university or a college education. And the truth is, uh, and, and not a lot of universities want to tell you this, the truth is that more and more people, it is not worth it. Uh, it is not worth it to go to university for three to five years uh, and pay a lot of money, especially if you live, if you're traveling uh, to go to school, if you live, uh, if you have to travel to another city or an urban center, if you're in a rural area, it is likely not worth it for, for many different degrees and many different paths of study. And not a lot of people want to tell you that, but it's the truth. And if you look at the job market uh, in your perspective field and and sort of the credentials you need for that, and you find that uh, you do have to go to university, it can work. Uh, no one's telling you don't go to be an engineer, don't go to be 
uh, you know, anything in sort of the medical sciences field. Um, people used to say lawyer, but even lawyer now is getting to be a semi-saturated right. field. Architects. I get people emailing me on my websites all the time. I'm an architect uh, working three days a week or working part-time. I need some help budgeting because I'm essentially super overqualified for the, the drawing job that I'm doing. And so architect, even though your grandma will have fun uh, bragging about you at, at her card club or whatever, uh, it's not it's not a guarantee to riches um, or or even a, a high middle class job like it used to be. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, what you have to ask is, what do you want out of college, university? If you have the money, or or if you're fortunate enough to have sort of parents or grandparents or an aunt or uncle that is able to help you out financially, and you just want to go for the experience, by all means, go for the experience. University is a fantastic time. I had a great uh, several years there. Uh, I met a lot of great people. Uh, I'm not saying that it isn't a great experience, and I'm not saying that uh, you should totally judge the experience by the dollars and cents that you earn on your paycheck when you leave. But what I am saying is that if you don't have that money and you have to go into debt, uh, and you're not even sure what you want to do with that university education, then you might want to reevaluate. And if you just want to learn, I I take it uh, right from my boy Matt Damon, if you've ever saw Goodwill Hunting, that a library pass is only a few bucks and you have access to the same reading list I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's really interesting. And it kind of goes against that whole sort of traditional sort of mindset that some people have where you should just go by default and kind of not even think about it because you need one to get a job and you're basically, you can't get a job anywhere without one and that kind of thing. So uh, for sure, that's so critical to actually have a plan as well, right? Uh, and so, so that you've got something to aim for and then you know, okay, so I should be looking to get these jobs and get this experience while I'm in university or college so that I can get a job once I'm out. So kind of really taking it seriously and really planning it out strategically, um, which is what I did and that worked out really well for me. Uh, and that's something I would recommend to everyone as well, uh, because I, I've, I remember seeing way too many peers my age when I was getting into university who just kind of said, well, I'm not really sure. So I'm just going to take this general arts thing here and you know that and that's it and then kind of you know hope for the best sort of deal right and and you know you you and and the problem is is that there are going to be hundreds if not thousands of people in your university in that boat when you graduate and there's going to be thousands across the country in that boat when you graduate as well so if you're just sort of coasting and you're not sure and you're not strategically playing it I mean, you're good luck competing, good luck standing out in front of them when you're sitting next to one, you know, at a job interview, for example. So, yeah. yeah. And, and here's the problem with what the statistics that the universities are putting out there, because here's the stats they love to throw. And it's hilarious because the, the marketing job that universities do would get absolutely destroyed in a case study in their own statistics 101 courses, because here's the fallacy they promote. They say, if you have people with a bachelor's degree earn X number of dollars more than people who don't, and they present it as a direct uh, causation factor, right. when in fact, it is not necessarily a causation factor at all. It's, it's merely a side effect of the filter of people who generally choose to go to university. The, the only relevant comparison for those statistics would be if they could say, here's a group of, peer, of people, our test group or, or control group who could have went to university and succeeded, who had all the skills needed to do that, uh, the skills that would have allowed them to achieve a bachelor degree, and they don't go to university. They start their own businesses. They start climbing the chain somewhere, doing something else. And then we compare it to. To compare and group people in um, sort of with the people who would have succeeded in university with the people that sort of dropped out of high school 
or uh, just generally don't have good work ethic or maybe don't have a lot of the social assets that that uh, correlate with success in life, uh, that's an unfair comparison. And furthermore, by showing all the people you're only taking out of your own stat pool, the people that graduated with the degree, you're cutting out all your um, sort of minimum level people that dropped out. And so many people do. You know, our dropout rates in first year are like 30% at most Canadian institutions. So it's just this brilliant example of spin marketing that uh, I just I find it really shameful, to be honest, Cornell. <laughs> yeah, and I do remember uh, learning that in second year stats about the whole you know causation and and to not jump to those conclusions where okay, well, you know if if this is this way, then it must be true. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the you know the the graduation the the degree actually causes that uh, you know that higher salary, for example, right? It can really it can really depend. So yeah, actually leading to my next question. Um, which is kind of uh, at least my answer to it is is, is is related to that. Can you share a sort of a game changing tip for someone that is in high school or university that can really set them apart and kind of put them on the right path in terms of having a successful career? I think um, being elite uh, or at least appearing to be elite. Uh, so that means scholarships. That means applying for awards. There's all kinds of scholarships and awards out there that never get applied for perhaps one or two people apply for them you can get these awards with uh you know not a superstar gpa just a pretty good gpa and doing some uh taking part in some clubs or doing some extracurricular just being a good person and being engaged and active and those things look great those are nice little filter tools that hr people love uh and and you won't go in debt uh i got you know i i was not a a superb superb student i i did pretty well but there were certainly uh several percentile points behind uh, or between me and most people that would consider themselves elite students. And uh, yet I received uh, over $15,000 in scholarship help awesome. when, as I was going through university. I've, I have several students that graduate out of high school with between twenty-five and, and $75,000 uh, in, in scholarships before they even left their high school, their, their tiny rural high school. It's just a matter of seeking it out. And then there's this weird snowball effect with awards and scholarships. And it's if you can put one or two down, uh, now you have this social proof or this authenticity that uh, these overworked HR people or the people that are like trying to quickly skim through and give you an award. If they can see one other awards, they're like, oh, this person's done the work for me now. I can simply award them. And, and clearly I'm nice. choosing a quality candidate because look at all the rest of these uh, awards. And, and that's sort of just how you end up stockpiling these credentials that uh, – are indicators of something, uh, if not necessarily IQ points. <laughs> that is a really, really good idea. So basically, if what, as soon as you win one, you would basically make sure that you include that, the fact that you did win one, on all subsequent um, bursaries or scholarships that you apply to, and basically kind of as, as proof that, that you are sort of worth their time, that you are uh, that, that you're worthy, basically, of receiving it. That's re- that's a really, really good yeah. idea. Yeah. If if you've ever read if you've ever read the books Nudge or uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, essentially you're just tapping into this uh, idea of authority and social proof. And and mm-hmm. people are lazy and they're going to look for shortcuts. And you'll always put yourself on the short list once you start that snowball process. That's a great idea. I'm sure, especially if it's uh, from someone that maybe a brand or a company that they recognize, right? Then oh wow, this is you know, this big institution and they were, they, you know, they clearly know their stuff and they were willing to give this person a scholarship. I should really consider it. And, and then the thing is too, is they're kind of covering their own butts as well, right? Because if someone's like, well, why did you, 
um, you know, why did you pick this person? Oh, well, you know, here's five reasons. Oh, and also, uh, you know, this big company also gave him a scholarship. Like, they, you know, obviously, this is someone that we should really be looking at, right? So it, it kind of helps them from that perspective as well. And, exactly. Yeah, and I find too, it helps um, having that on your resume as well. I remember I always, uh, all the scholarships I got, I put those on my resume when I was applying for co-op jobs um, and then for jobs uh, after university as well. And, uh, that, you know, once, once again, it really kind of helps set you apart uh, from all the other students that took the exact same program that you did in university or college. So um, so it's, it's, it's definitely a good investment on your time. Um, and actually, we had a previous guest on the show as well who highly recommended that too. And he actually said, calculated, you know, kind of what are you making per hour, even if you win just a very yeah. small percentage of, of the ones you apply to. And it's, it's an absolutely ridiculous amount, way more than you would be getting paid if you're at you know, working at a student pub or a student bookstore or something like that. You just get, uh, I mean, the payoff can be huge. All right, so we just had a little interruption here. There's a storm where Kyle is, and so we got disconnected, and now we are back. Um, so we'll try to do a, a smooth transition. <laughs> but basically, where we left off is, um, so Kyle shared his sort of game-changing tip that can really set you apart uh, when you're going to university or college, and, and that was on the subject of scholarships. And, and I would say, that if I had to give one myself, uh, one that worked out really well for me was to really strongly consider the co-op option uh, when you're applying to university. Sometimes you have to apply it after the first year. Sometimes you apply it for it right away. Um, And and this can really, really be a a huge, huge game changer. Um, So when you think about it, when you graduate, you are going to be graduating with hundreds or thousands of other students within your program and definitely thousands and thousands of students across Canada in similar programs. So you know, if you're applying for some amazing, amazing job, uh, chances are you know, you're going to be competing against people from all across Canada for that particular job that you want and, and you need to set yourself apart somehow. So I mean, through co-op, it, that's that's just huge because, you, for example, in my in my instance, I went to Laurier for the business program there, and so I had three uh, co-op terms, and I actually had four because I, I kind of got them to extend one, but uh, but basically three co-op terms. So you're working at three companies that are in your field, and you're getting actual experience, and you're building connections with those with individuals in that particular industry. So when you graduate, you could very well have job offers from all of those companies, or at least some of them. And even if you don't get job offers from them, or maybe you don't want to work there at any of those places well still when you're sitting next to those you know applying for a job that thousands of other recent graduates are applying to well now you can on your resume instead of saying well I was a camp counselor over the summer during the school break instead of that you can say well I worked out I worked at your competitor I worked out these two other companies I mean it's it's, a, it's not even a contest it's it's not even fair to the students that weren't in the in the program so uh, definitely really really strongly consider that and if you don't get into the co-op program or if you're school doesn't have one, uh, then still really try to get a job over the summer uh, in kind of an internship so that you can get that that relevant experience. So, I mean, that to me, that made getting a job after university uh, ridiculously easy. I mean, I start to work really hard to get it, you know, a lot of time on the resume and all that, but but it, it, it's, it just, it was a complete, complete game changer. And some people don't even consider it. So, um, you know, if I had one thing, I would say definitely consider a co-op program for sure. For sure. I'm hoping we see more and more of those, Cornell, where we're seeing colleges working with universities to uh, promote a good amount of background, soft skill development in university, but also a lot of a uh, little bit harder skills um, sort of that are, are very focused on on a job need in, in the market. Yeah, yeah, no, for, for sure, for sure. Yeah, like it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really something that, you know, like, like, and it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of work. I mean, because you're, you're preparing, you're preparing for midterms. 
Like, I, I remember I'm preparing for a calculus midterm while writing, tailoring my resume for a job while also preparing for three interviews I have the next day for for the next co-op placement. So it, it was re- really, really tough. I mean, you know, you're having a lot of coffee at that point. But I mean, the, <laughs> but the payoff is, is huge, right? And I yeah. mean, if you really want to get up there and you really want a job that's relevant um, to your field, I mean, you know, this is the kind of stuff you just you just have to kind of suck it up and then do it, I would say. Yeah. So anyways, that's that's my two cents. I just wish, uh, you know, more people considered it uh, because it's it's sad when they don't and then they have trouble getting a job related to their field. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of co-op programs. <laughs> We've written about them on our site many times. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. So that's enough of me. Uh, <laughs> let's let's get back to Kyle here. Uh, so let, let's talk about this college versus university debate. Uh, so when I was in school, college was perceived by some people my age to be sort of a second class kind of secondary thing, right? Uh, not that it's true. It was just a perception that some people had. Um, for instance, some of the college programs were a lot easier to get into than some of these, you know, elite university level programs, right? And so that's kind of where these perceptions, I think, came from. Um, but then the reality is that now we're seeing college graduates who actually earn more money and, and sometimes they have better jobs than some university graduates. For example, someone that goes into a college and takes part in a high in-demand apprenticeship, let's say, like a trade, right? Uh, they're, they're doing apprenticeships throughout their program. They've pretty much got a job, a well-paying job secured right after graduating. I mean, they're basically set. And then you consider, you compare that to some people that maybe just took a general arts degree, they didn't do co-op, they didn't have any related work experience, you know, and now they're having, they're either unemployed, some of them, and some of them are employed, but they're having a really tough jo- job, a t- tough time finding a job in their actual field. I mean, these are sort of the realities. So, so Kyle, can you talk a little bit about that and what your experience has been with that? Yeah, I would say uh, it's not just some uh, college graduates that are out earning university graduates. I would say it's many, mm-hmm. many uh, uh, that are out earning, especially if you look at specific fields and <clears throat> you compare uh, like fine arts or, or just general arts degrees uh, to a lot of the different um, focused fields in everything from natural resource extraction to information and technology, uh, any trades-based stuff your college certificates are just a way better return on investment for both your time and money in a lot of cases. And I think the weird stigma that you described is unfortunately my profession's fault. It's, it's teachers' faults. And, and it's, I don't think we set out to do this, but here's the thing. Every person or every teacher and principal working in schools today had the exact same post-secondary path to success. And it is a success because they enjoy upper middle class jobs. As much as teachers want to play the poor card uh, every once in a while, we uh, make substantially more than the average Canadian does. And we did that through taking two university degrees in most cases. In some cases, uh, one university degree. But the bottom line is uh, very, very few of us have ever had a personal interaction with the college uh, or any other type of certification background. We were all we all went through university. We've all experienced success. So what are we naturally going to recommend what are our biases going to be towards? Uh, sort of where uh, where does our vanity take us when we talk to students about college versus university? And the answer, of course, is we recommend university in far, far more cases than we should. And then if we're recommending that and parents are recommending that because their teachers recommend it to them, mm-hmm. you get this awkward uh, sort of market inefficiency that we've created where you've got uh, colleges that are quite responsive to the job market. Uh, and are creating programs that, uh, in many times, already have employers on the back end. Um, 
I'll give you one example real quick. I, I walked into my staff room a couple years ago and opened up a book from Red River College. And it was a brilliant book that had charted the outcomes of all their graduates over the last five years from every single uh, program that they offered, which is something a university would never put together. And this one job, I quickly was scanning through graphs, had 100% uh, employment rate. Every single kid from this program, student, had, uh, and there, had, had been employed within their field and they were earning an average of $85,000 a year. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, well, what is this? Is right. it like, you know, solar engineering or something? No, it was actually railway conductor. <laughs> I, I had never considered that out of high school. You know, the job is not for everyone. You have to live in some rural places sometimes. Uh, you have a, a very sort of odd schedule. But there's a lot of Canadians out there that I think if you told them, look, you take this uh, eight month, I believe it was six or eight months, the course, you take this six or eight month course, and you're guaranteed 85 grand a year. I think there's a lot of Canadians <laughs> that would jump on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really good story. That's a good example. Yeah, that's neat. So yeah, also, uh, when I was in high school, too, I remember a giant percent, speaking of the whole teacher kind of subject as well, when I was in high school, a really big percentage of the graduating class actually wanted to be teachers. And I remember some of the people that I spoke to, some of the, you know, my friends and just acquaintances, they, they were like, well, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what I want to do with my career. So, I, you know, I'm just going to go be a teacher. I'm just going to go do that. And so that was kind of like their default sort of fallback thing, you know, and, and that is and that's that's so dangerous for for a few reasons i mean the one is that they're now competing with people who wanted to be teachers from the very beginning so like i have some friends that are teachers now and they have been just doing everything right in order to actually break through and be teachers i mean they were volunteering at different schools they were building connections right from the get-go i mean so so you're competing against people like that you know who have been going at this forever so so good luck getting a position and also because so many people have this sort of uh, this fallback, you know, uh, then what we have now too is, we have, I, I don't know about where you are right now, uh, Kyle, but I know in Ontario, there is a huge, huge oversupply of people that want to be teachers and there just aren't enough teaching jobs to go around. And so, you've, you you know, like I was actually, at, I was at No Frills the other day, I'm shopping and there was a girl who was a cashier now and she was you know, she had all the necessary post-secondary education to be a teacher, and she was working as a cashier at No Frills, despite having all these credentials, right? Because, and she was complaining that there's just no teaching jobs available for her, right? So, I mean, that's that's a pretty rough spot to be in, uh, especially, you know, if you went into all sorts of debt uh, to get those degrees, and now you can't find a teaching job. So, so you're a teacher yourself. Can you speak a little bit, a little bit about that as well? Yeah, unfortunately, I think in most places in Canada, especially if you live uh, in an urban, one of Canada's big urban markets, uh, the situation's even more dire than you paint Cornell. Uh, <laughs> living in a rural area, Brandon, near Brandon, Manitoba is sort of my closest uh, city, and, and I use that term loosely because someone from Toronto might not consider Brandon <laughs> a city. Uh, the, the keg restaurant, uh, obviously a well-known name, it's sort of the premier place uh, to, to get a serving job. We know serving jobs can be uh, somewhat lucrative in terms of cash money in your pocket. Over half the staff there, over half of the serving staff either have a Bachelor of Education degree or are in their final year of a Bachelor of Education degree, and that's their second degree. Uh, they all, in Manitoba, you have to take a, a, a first degree, and then it's an after-degree program, your Bachelor of Education. So over half the, serve, the, the ladies pre predominantly uh, serving, already have and they're just trying they're trying to get a foot in the door with a term position or a mm -hmm. supply teaching position or point three position uh it's rough i think to be honest today if you wanted to be a teacher 
you have to put into your life plan. You're looking at it. I would say a minimum of five years of, of probably teaching uh, in a, a very rural environment, uh, a northern environment. Uh, perhaps you, if you want to teach overseas, I think that's a fantastic option that that a lot of people are okay. pursuing. Uh, so if you want to do that, uh, that's those are great options. But if you want to teach uh, in an urban area, I, I think you may want to may want to pursue uh, something else. The other the other thing, um, just to talk to your point, it drives me crazy when I meet people who are like, "Yeah, well, teaching was my fallback plan when dentistry fell through," or, mm. you know, I tried to be a professional author, but that didn't work. So now I'm teaching English, and it's like, no, you're gonna hate it. Your students are gonna hate it. Uh, you, you, like. You don't teach because you're a subject area expert. That's a great thing to be, and you should be that. But it's not. It shouldn't be the driving force behind why you got into a classroom. Uh, maybe at some private schools you might experience some degree of success, but uh, it's it's not it's not going to go well for you in in the vast majority of educational environments I've been in. Uh, teaching biology and chemistry when you thought you were going to be a dentist, it's not going to be the type of clientele you think it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, so for sure, I, I think we'd both highly encourage students to basically not use teaching as some sort of a, a fallback plan. Um, and then, I, and then you know what? Not even just for teaching, but for any career. I mean, if you uh, if you want to if you have a few options that okay, maybe I want to be a doctor or, or something else, or I, I don't know. Just if you have different options, maybe look into that a little bit more to see. Well, you know, what's it going to cost? What are the job prospects like in that actual industry? Am I actually going to be able to get a job? And, and you know, what's involved, right? Because so many people that I've talked to, you know, they didn't, they, who did this sort of teacher backup plan or, or just defaulted to being a teacher because they didn't know what to do, you know, they just, they, they, they didn't really do any research. They didn't go talk to teachers and find out, well, you know, are you guys even hiring? Is anyone hiring here? Yeah. Why is no one hiring, right? I mean, it, it would have been a 10-minute conversation with yeah. like your teacher probably or, or or whoever, right? Someone that you know, and they would have told you right away that, listen, like if you really want to get in this, fine, but just realize you're going to have to work your tail off to, to somehow differentiate yourself from the thousands of other people that want to be teachers. So so at least then you know what you're getting into, right? And I think yeah. if it's your fallback plan, and then you're going to say, well, you know what? This probably isn't a good fallback plan because this yeah. takes way too much work to be a fallback plan, right? Um, so no, for sure, no, thanks for, for sharing your insight, especially since, since you are a teacher. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of the interview with Kyle. Remember, you can enter the giveaway for free to win a copy of Kyle's book by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash 17. So just the number 17. Also, if having a business on the side is something that you'd like to look into, you can get the complete step-by-step video guide completely free by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash business. So check that out and I'll see you over in part two of the interview. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 